Welcome and hello, everyone. Welcome to the Holistic Health and Wellness Podcast, Let Beauty Guide You with your host, Chelsea Keen. Today, we're so lucky to have lucid dreaming expert Robert Wagner here with us today to discuss the relationship between lucid dreaming and transformation. Welcome, Robert. Oh, thanks for having me, Chelsea. It's great to be here. Awesome. So for our listeners, uh, a little background on Robert. So Robert Wagner is author of Lucid Dreaming, Gateway to the Inner Self, and co-author of Lucid Dreaming, Plain and Simple. And he's been a lucid dreamer since 1975. He's logged more than a thousand lucid dreams in that time. And he's also past president of the International Association for the Study of Dreams and currently serves as a co-editor of the online magazine called The Lucid Dreaming Experience. And pre-COVID, of course, he also frequently speaks about lucid dreaming at international dream conferences. Maybe those still go on on Zoom. (laughs) Yeah, they do. They do. They do. They do. (laughs) Okay, perfect. So... So I'm sure you get this question often, Robert, but I'm wondering if you could define lucid dreaming for us and our listeners. Right. So so the basic idea is a lucid dream is any dream in which you realize within the dream that you're dreaming. You literally know, hey, wait a second, this is a dream. I'm dreaming this. And so that's what a lucid dream is. And so oftentimes, as soon as you become lucid, then you can decide what you want to do and you can begin to influence uh, how the dream goes. It's so cool. Like when, when you hear about a lucid dream, you know, my first thought is, oh, wow, that's so fun. You know, you can go on all these adventures, you can go traveling, you can do what you want without judgment or reservation. But of course, there's something so much deeper to lucid dreaming um, that I would love to touch upon today. And you know, when I was reading your book, what became apparent to me is that lucid dreaming has profound implications for transforming the character of humanity. So if we define transformation as kind of an elevated state of character and development for human beings, how does lucid dreaming serve as an access to transformation? So that is a wonderful question and a very deep question, but I'll just tell you that the reason I called my book, first book, Lucid Dreaming Gateway to the Inner Self, is that I saw after a couple decades of lucid dreaming that you can actually engage your inner awareness in a lucid dream. And basically what you do, just to explain it for people listening, you become lucid, you stabilize the lucid dream, and then instead of interacting with the dream figures and the dream environment, you just pose a question to what I call the awareness behind the dream. Like, hey, dream, show me something important for me to see. And then suddenly, sometimes the entire lucid dream will change. Sometimes an image will appear, sometimes a symbol, whatever. But you'll begin to realize that in a lucid dream, you can actually interact with this awareness behind the dream. Sometimes a voice will respond, sometimes it's imagery, however. So that's transformational because it expands who you are, who the self is. If the self is just on the ego level and the physical self, well, that's that's a pretty small bandwidth. But when in a dream you interact with your larger awareness and you see its incredible creativity and its incredible wisdom, then you go, oh my God, there is much more to me than just this physical ego self. I'm connected to something incredibly larger. And for me, that's transformational for the person. It, it will be eventually transformational for the science of psychology once they uh, get this all figured out. And, and then it'll be transformational for the world as we begin to see that there's more to us humans than just this surface layer. Yeah, I mean, it's so cool. It's, it's incredibly deep to kind of... Um, have that interaction with kind of like the larger consciousness, right? So, okay. It gets so deep, but (laughs) so in your, in your book, 
you mentioned many incidents of the relationship between dreaming life and waking life. Um, so one thing you mention is, um, you know, you have a lucid dream about your friend Mo and you hold up a peace sign in front of her face. And then she ends up doing that in real life. Um, and then you kind of ask her like, why'd you do that? And she's like, I don't know. I just kind of, I just kind of did that. And then you also talk about dream figures that telepathically warn you of things and events to come. And one dreamer was told in a dream where a, you know, where a freckle was on a woman's body. And then that was confirmed in real life. And then there, of course, also incidents of mutual lucid dreams where people confirm that they actually met up and shared the same lucid dream. So what does this all imply about the nature of consciousness? <laughs> you know, I, I think what it implies is that is that we're so much deeper than we assume we are. And also the nature of reality is actually much different than we think it is. So, so for example, you were mentioning uh, my lucid dream with my friend Mo. And, and just to explain to your listeners what happened, I found myself, I became lucidly aware and I walked into a restaurant and I'm sitting there in the restaurant knowing it's a dream and just admiring the detail. I can see the individual salt crystals in the salt shaker. That's how much detail that I can see that my unconscious mind is creating. And then through the door walks my friend Mo. And I run up to her and I, and I say, Mo, this is the dream. We're dreaming this. But the interesting thing was she had rapid eye movement. Her eyes were flittering back and forth. And I thought, oh, she is still in the dream state. So I think, how can I make her lucid? And then it occurs to me that I could grab her around the waist and float up to the ceiling. And if she noticed that, she might become lucid and be lucid with me. And so we begin floating and I say, Mo, look, we're floating. This is a dream. But she still has rapid eye movement. And then I just couldn't think of anything else to make her become lucidly aware. So at that moment, I put my fingers into a peace sign and I shoved it in her face. And I said, Mo, do you see these, this peace sign? You can use it as a symbol to become lucidly aware anytime you want. And I thought, okay, I've done what I can do. That's it. So I woke up and wrote down the lucid dream. So I live in the Midwest and Mo lives out in the San Francisco area. And I thought she'd write me the next day or call me or something, but she didn't. And so I just kept the lucid dream to myself. Anyway, fast forward three months later, I'm out in the Bay Area on a business trip. And um, I realize I have some free time around lunch and I call up Mo and ask her if she'd like to meet me. And she tells me a restaurant in Burlingame, California to meet her at. So now here in Waking Reality, I'm standing outside the restaurant and Mo comes walking down the sidewalk. And before she says anything, she puts her fingers into a peace sign and shoves it in my face. <laughs> and I, I said, Mo, why are you doing that? And she said, I don't know. I just felt like it. And so when you have those moments, you kind of realize that occasionally in dreams and lucid dreams, Sometimes we apparently seem connected. We're, we're connected across space and time. We're kind of connected in a mental universe. And, and uh, the, there's just no explaining how Mo could have done exactly what I did to her in a lucid dream and then she did to me in the waking state. And that, so I explained to her that. So, so again, this begins to make people wonder what are the true limits of the self? You know, are we part of an interconnected oneness? Because I'll tell you, after 40 years of lucid dreaming, that's what I decided, that we actually, all of us, exist as part of an interconnected oneness. And so that explains how we have these kind of interesting uh, lucid dream experiences, but also explains why we have uh, precognitive dreams and and psychic uh, you can go to a psychic and occasionally they'll tell you things that actually occur in the future and it's because we're part of an interconnected oneness but anyway that that just kind of shows you uh, just just one simple story of how deep lucid dreaming can be 
especially if you learn how they really use lucid dreaming uh, thoughtfully, because you're right, uh, most of us, uh, we just fly around in the lucid dreams. We have all sorts <laughs> of fun with dream figures. We go through walls. We walk on water. We, we just do crazy things. And, and we never realize that it's also a way to explore the nature of the self, also to do emotional healing, physical healing, and, and really a inner and personal transformation. Yeah, I, I love how you mentioned um, emotional and physical healing. Can you can you say a little bit more about the potential of lucid dreaming for emotional and physical healing as well? Right. So uh, some psychotherapists uh, use lucid dreaming to help people who have post-traumatic stress disorder, uh, because one of the common symptoms of that is recurring nightmares. And so if you're having nightmares every night, you're not getting very good sleep and your partner isn't getting very good sleep and all that. But what they've taught them to do um, is to become aware within the nightmare. And then if they just change one thing, then suddenly the nightmares will cease and uh, they'll, they'll get back to having regular uh, sleep. And so th this is really transformational for a lot of people uh, to, to get rid of that. Also, there's a professor, a doctor in University of New Mexico who created a technique to get rid of PTSD nightmares called imagery rehearsal uh, therapy. And it's based on lucid dreaming. And so basically, you just do it during the day. You don't have to be a lucid dreamer to do it. And he reports a lot of success with people overcoming uh, the recurring nightmares and beginning to heal the PTSD inwardly. But for us lucid dreamers who are out there, we realize that lucid dreamers are using it for many more emotional healing issues. So, for example, people use it for healing phobias. So like, let's say you have a fear of heights. In a lucid dream, you can go up to a high place and you know it's a dream, but then you can, you know, climb down the wall like Spider-Man or, or whatever. You know it's a dream, you know you can't be hurt. And, and if you do this like four or five times, then you'll wake up and you'll realize, wow, I no longer have a fear of heights. And whatever it is, a fear of flying, a fear of insects, a fear of public speaking, I've seen lucid dreamers resolve all that kind of stuff in their lucid dreams. Then lucid dreamers have used it to resolve anxiety. Um, I've even got emails from lucid dreamers who have used it to overcome like addiction to drugs. Um, wow. I remember uh, a young man wrote me. He, he said that he had been in rehab as a meth addict and it was his second time in rehab at like age 18 or 19. And, and he told me he was so bored in rehab that when he was talking to his drug counselor, he saw my first book on, on his desk and asked if he could read it just because he was so bored. And so he began to read in there that I say that in a lucid dream, you can interact with your larger awareness. And so he began to have lucid dreams and he began, you know, just to experiment and he would ask, hey, dream, show me something important. And then something important would happen. But he began to have this incredible conversations with his inner awareness. And one time his inner awareness said to him in a lucid dream, hey, would you like to see what your life will be like if you continue to use drugs? And he said, sure, sure. And he said for the next 10 minutes, it was like a video played in the lucid dream showing him all the people he would hurt all the damage he would do, all the lives that he would negatively affect, all the damage he'd do to his own body and his own self. And he said when it was finally over and his larger awareness had showed him what would happen if he continued to use drugs, he said when he woke up from that lucid dream, he told himself that, okay, I'm not going to go down that path. I'm going to sober up and get rid of drugs. And so he wrote me an email after he graduated from a community college in California, because he knew if he graduated from a community college, that would mean that he had been sober for two years. But that's how powerful lucid dreaming can be. You know, when, when your larger awareness can show you, you know, your likely probable future, if you continue on the path, then, then that's just how powerful it can be. But it's, but I do want to tell you one story of someone who was totally emotionally transformed 
um, by lucid dreaming. So I, w I was invited down to Bogota, Colombia to, to give a workshop on lucid dreaming. And so I go down there and there's 80 people in this uh, hotel uh, conference room and it's all being translated through Spanish into Spanish and all. And in the front row, there was this nice, very nice woman. She's probably 40 years old. But here's the thing. She had all this pain etched in her face. And you can just see it and you, you don't know what it's about, but you can see when someone has a lot of pain in their face and they probably had some traumatic life issues and all. But she asked wonderful questions about lucid dreaming, which only a lucid dreamer would know. And so I knew she was a good lucid dreamer. <laughs> anyway, so, you know, the weekend workshop comes to an end and I go on my way. Six months later, they have me come back to Bogota and give another workshop on lucid dreaming. And in walks this woman, and she is totally transformed. 80% of the pain is gone from her face. She looks younger, taller, more attractive, more healthy, more everything. And I walk up to her and I said, through the translator, what happened to you? She told me, she had never thought of the idea, the concept of emotional healing in a lucid dream. She'd had lots of lucid dreams, but she'd never thought about using it for emotional healing. And so she did exactly like I said in the workshop, I tell everyone, you have to make a plan in the waking state that you're going to do once you become lucid. So she became lucid, she stabilized lucid dreams, she remembered her plan and and she went through with her plan, which is actually calling on the spiritual figure. Then this spiritual figure appears in a blue robe, and she asks the spiritual figure to heal her heart. And the spiritual figure puts out um, her hands, and from her hands comes this light that comes shooting in to this woman, the lucid dreamer's heart. And she said she felt this incredibly ecstatic energy. And she woke up from the lucid dream, and she, she, was, she said she knew she was changed. But here, here's the great thing, Chelsea. She said, I can still remember the events that happened in my life, but now they have no pain. Wow. And, and I thought, whoa, because I mean, a lot of people go through some serious heavy stuff. And I, I don't even want, want to mention the serious heavy stuff that people go through. But by having it basically healed in a lucid dream, the, this woman woke up totally transformed. And so in my book, I also have a chapter on people on physical healing and people have had physical healings and lucid dreams. So what I want people to get to understand is lucid dreaming is an open platform. From there, you can do any number of things that can help heal yourself emotionally or physically or heal yourself from grief. You, you can transform in extraordinary ways, just utterly extraordinary ways. And that's why I'm trying to get people to learn how to use lucid dreaming for, for these uh, greater purposes. Because if you want to, you can use lucid dreaming. You can become lucid a thousand times and just fly around and go through walls and, you know, have lucid dream sex and whatever and, and just do that. But if you see the potential, then you go, oh, my gosh, there's so much more here. Yeah, I mean, it's just incredible, like, the implications it has for you know, if people can tap into lucid dreaming as a way to emotionally heal and thereby physically heal as well too, like that has implications for the healthcare system and just, just our whole, I mean, it's a total paradigm shift on how we go about doing anything really. Right. And like the ability to heal ourselves by getting super in tune with the inner self, the interconsciousness, which is then connected to the larger consciousness. I mean, it's just kind of mind blowing. <laughs> it, it, you know, it really is mind blowing. And I, I think, uh, you know, I, I think one reason that, that's why my first book has been like printed 15 times and it's been translated into a bunch of languages because I, I'll get emails from people saying your book utterly blew my mind. And, and like, I also do this online magazine, uh, like you mentioned, the lucid dreaming experience. And a couple issues back, it was about physical healing was what the issue theme was. And so we invited lucid dreamers to send their examples of lucid dream healing. And, and this one young guy, 
I think he's a European kid. Um, he sent me his lucid dream of healing himself. And what happened in, in waking life, uh, he's in his 30s, and he has what people call eye, your eyeball, eye pigment dispersion syndrome. And that's when your pigment comes off your eyes, and then it gets clogged up in your ducts that, that drain your eyes. And then because it's clogged it up, now there's all this pressure on your eye and sometimes something will happen to your eye and you'll actually go blind. So this mm -hmm. is really serious and, and it wow. happens to some young guys in their 30s and 40s. Anyway, so in this article, he showed his uh, eye pigment dispersion tests from 2016. Then he had another test in January of 2020. And now the numbers have dropped a lot, showing that his eye pigment problem is getting much, much worse and so his doctor says, look, I want you to come back in three or four months and have another test because this is, is not looking good. So he decides, he sees my uh, articles on people who have healed themselves in lucid dreams. He's a lucid dreamer, so he figures, why not? Why not give it a shot? In the lucid dream, he stabilizes it. He had made a plan. He put his hand over his eye in the lucid dream, intending for healing light to appear and suddenly there's this brilliant flash of white light, of healing light, and, and he wakes up. Now, a week or two later, he goes to the doctor and has another test. And now suddenly, his eye pigment dispersion is exactly like it was, you know, five or six years earlier. And so it's healed, you know, it's gone back to its earlier state. And, and the doctor goes, there's been some sort of spontaneous remission, some sort of reversion. And the young man says, oh, you want to know how I did it? I did it in a lucid dream. And the doctor said, well, I don't know how you did it. I don't know if you did it, but I see that, that a reversion has occurred. So, so again, when you have, and, and he gave the chart so you could see how the change had occurred over time. But when you see that, you, you realize uh, that there's something that Buddhist dream yoga people say. Because Buddhist dream yoga people use lucid dreaming as kind of their primary technique for Buddhist dream yoga, which is one of the six paths to enlightenment, uh, according to some. And, and what they say is that an action performed in a lucid dream is normally uh, nine times more powerful than one performed in the waking state. And wow. so what I think they're trying to say is that when you're aware at this very deep state you can do some really transformational things. You can heal your physical body. You can do emotional healing. You can interact with this larger awareness. That they, they never mentioned that. They don't even mention healing or anything like that. They're, they're just all about becoming enlightened. But I can see how you can really, uh, at this deep level of awareness, really make just incredible, sudden, and transformational change. It's it's so fascinating. I mean, what what I'm hearing too is there's a lot of um because I've been I don't know if you know Dr. Joe Dispenza and his meditation work. I feel like there's a lot of parallels in terms of, you know, he what he does is he gets people into these meditative states where then they they kind of um are in a place of nothingness where it's kind of like getting beyond the ego and then from there, they also have those miraculous um, healing transformations, like they're able to heal their physical body or, you know, get beyond trauma and stuff like that. So what is the real, do you know <laughs> if there's a relationship between that kind of meditation and lucid dreaming? Like, are they accessing the same space? You know, that that's a wonderful question. Um, I, I think, uh, those kind of meditative experiences can be very powerful, especially if you um, just go with it and let go and let go of kind of ego control and, and just kind of sink into your deeper self in your larger self, because it can be very, very powerful. So, so, so I, I have two ways of uh, thinking about this. So first I'm going to tell you um, so I, I mentioned these kind of amazing things that occur in lucid dreams, but but just like Joe Dispenza would say, you can transfer it into what I call lucid living or living lucidly. So, so for example, um, I know that in a lucid dream, I could heal a physical issue that I have, but I also see 
the principles of how to do it in the waking state without even mm-hmm. becoming lucid. So you don't even have mm-hmm. to be a lucid dreamer. So, so I'll give you an example of a success that I had. Um, in waking life, I had hay fever. So every August and September here in the Midwest, um, there'd be so much pollen in the air, at least that's what science says, that I'd get hay fever. My nose would clog up, my sinuses would clog up, my throat would be raw. It was a nightmare. All August and September was just a total nightmare for me. And year after year, I just began to dread August and September because the hay fever would happen and be such a drag. But then one day it occurred to me, wait a second, I'm, I'm teaching lucid dreaming. I'm teaching people you can spontaneously take care of this, but can, can I do it in the waking state? So this is what I did. It's a three-part process. First, I was mindful about what my mind was telling my unconscious. So every time I realized that I was fearing August and September, I would say, no, wait a second. No, not this year. So first I'd be mindful and say, no, I'm going to stop the script. Then I had to replace it with what I wanted. So then I would say, not this year. This year I'll breathe easily and naturally. This year I'll breathe easily and naturally. And I'd imagine myself breathing easily and naturally. And so that was the process. Stop myself, say not this year, and then say what I wanted. This year, I'll breathe easily and naturally. And so there, I'd be watching TV, and here comes a commercial for, you know, take, you know, allergy medicines, you know, pollen is coming. And I'd say, nope, not this year. This year, I'll breathe easily and naturally. The first year, I would say my symptoms were reduced probably 70 to 80%. The next year, they reduced 90%. The next year, 95%. Now, I don't even think about it. I breathe easily and naturally. And so, here's what I'm saying is, in the lucid dream state, I realize my the importance of belief and expectations. Mm. So, if you believe that August and September are going to be a total drag, well, guess what? You're reinforcing that. You're reinforcing that idea. You're making it much, much worse. And so if you can switch those beliefs and expectations in a lucid dream, then suddenly you can really show sudden transformation. But in the waking state, the waking state's a little bit more slowed down. And, and so that's why sometimes uh, if you do this process of, of changing your beliefs and expectations by stopping that negative uh, expectation in your mind and replacing it with what you want, that you'll breathe easily and naturally, then, then you can make changes that way. But, but it just shows that you can take these ideas from lucid dreams and, and bring it into the waking state, use them in the waking state. You don't have to be a lucid dreamer and, and see the same changes occur. It's, I mean, to me too, what, what pops out is the power of the subconscious mind, right? And how much the subconscious mind really runs the show for us in waking life. And then in a dream, it's kind of like you have even more direct, if you're a lucid dreamer and you're an experienced lucid dreamer, you have that kind of um, more direct access to engaging with your subconscious programming and kind of having an, a deeper understanding of it. Because I think in waking life is sometimes we don't even know what's running the show. It's just there. And so <laughs> exactly. Isn't yeah. that true? Yeah. <laughs> so can you share more about kind of experiences with kind of directly engaging with your subconscious mind while in a lucid dream? Right. So, so uh, first I want to bring up, uh, there's a wonderful uh, hypnotherapist uh, named Milton Erickson and he, okay. he's passed okay. away uh, the last 30 or 40 years. But Milton Erickson would say, the unconscious is always listening. Hmm. So think about that. If the unconscious is always listening, then think of the chatter in your head. In your head. You know, I, I remember uh, when I got married a long time ago, and, and here now I'm living you know, with my wife, and, and she has these women's magazines, and I'm looking at them, and your problem areas, how to hide your problem areas. And I'm reading this stuff, and I say, you don't really believe this stuff, do you? And, and she goes, oh, you don't understand. And I, I, said, I just said, look, you are just beautiful. All your parts are beautiful. 
and you don't have any problem areas that you have to worry about. She said, oh, you are, you are mistaken. There are problem <laughs> areas. <laughs> but, but again, if you tell yourself, you know, that you're not worthy, that this is a problem, that's a problem and whatever, I'll just tell you, that's, that's your own inner landscape going on. And uh, if you want to work through it, you've got to really begin to become mindful of what you're telling yourself. You know, because if the unconscious is always listening, then then that's a really uh, important thing to realize. But but to get to your question, um, lucid dreaming allows us to integrate things, to integrate inner energies. And, and so here, here's an example of how powerful that can be. Um, one, one night, um, I find myself uh, sitting at a at a kitchen table in a farmhouse in the southern United States. And, and there's a woman, the farm wife, uh, at the stove cooking beans, and she puts beans on my plate. And I think, wait a second, I don't live in the South. I don't live in a farm. And this must be a dream. And at that moment, I could feel that there was this energy behind me. And so I tell people in my online workshops and all, always go to the area of the most energy. Because that's, that energy is being brought to you by your unconscious mind or your larger awareness as a place for you to focus on and hopefully resolve. And also because it was behind me, that's what Carl Jung called the shadows position. Mm -hmm. And the shadow is the denied, ignored, kind of repressed parts of the self that you're not focusing on. You know, it's all behind you. You, you don't even see it. So I, I turn around and, and there is a, a young, attractive uh, woman. She's smiling at me. I pick her up and put her in front of me. And I ask her an open-ended question. I ask her, who are you? Who are you? And then she replies, I am a discarded aspect of yourself. And I think, whoa, what, what <laughs> am I supposed to do with a discarded aspect of myself? I've never met a discarded aspect of myself. But then I think, well, wait a second. If... If she's been discarded, then it means she wants to be accepted. And so mm -hmm. from my heart, I began to accept her. And as I began to accept this dream figure, she began to get smaller and smaller until I totally accepted her from my heart. And then she burst into light, into colored bits of light that came into my torso. And it was so energetic that I, that I actually woke up in bed. I was like, whoa, that, that was wild. And so I knew I had reintegrated with some energy, the energy of some discarded aspect of myself. And it was a week later that I figured it out because I woke up and I knew I was different. And a week later, it occurred to me, oh, ever since that lucid dream of reintegrating the discarded aspect, I've been thinking I should try to write that book on lucid dreaming, the project I discarded a year ago because it was so hard to write it. And that's when I realized, oh, that's that, that woman, that dream figure represented all the energy that I'd put in the first attempt to write the book. And now in this lucid dream, I've reintegrated with it. And then that, allowed, that gave me the energy and the impetus to begin to, to write. And I wrote my first book, Lucid Dreaming Gateway to the Inner Self. But th that's oh how goodness. beautiful and transformational it can be. Because sometimes these dream figures, you know, um, in a normal dream, there's dream figures, you just interact with them, and there you go. But in a lucid dream, you can ask a dream figure, who are you? And it'll tell you what it represents. And sometimes it's a mind blow. It, it's just truly incredible. And no kidding, that changed your life. I mean, you wrote the book that I mean, it is an incredible book and I can imagine it would be <laughs> really difficult to write because like there's just so much to cover and try and articulate in, you know, and in words I'll that you, can't really get it. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you what, what happened to me. So, so you have to realize I, uh, I've been in business marketing and sales for 25 years. And so I, I, I left the family business and uh, decided to write a book. I'd never written a book before. I, the last time wow. I wrote a 20-page paper was back when I was in college, you know, 30-some years earlier. And so I sit down and start writing. And uh, But one thing that lucid, lucid dreaming has taught me is you have to understand what your intent 
is. And so I asked myself, what is my intent in writing this book? And I knew it wasn't to be famous or to make money because, you know, a lot of authors write and, and they don't just make that much money and they don't become famous. And so I kept going, what is my intent? What is my intent? And finally, I got down really deep and my larger awareness in the waking state told me, this is your song of love for the phenomenal world. Wow. And I'll tell you, when I heard that this was my song of love for the phenomenal world, I, that just broke away all the fear and the concern and everything. Because I'm sitting there writing this book and sharing all this deep stuff thinking, wow, some people are going to think I'm crazy. And oh, some people are going to think this is nuts. And oh, what are my neighbors going to say when they read this? Mm. And, and I said, if this is my song of love, I'm just putting it out there. I, yeah. If this is my song of love, I'm going to give it everything I can. Because if I get hit by a truck a month after finishing this book, at least I got my song of love out there for the world. And, oh. and so so I, I think that's why I remember when my when I one time I went to London after my book came out and, and this uh, young Italian guy comes up to me and he says, Robert, I want to tell you I read your book. And I want to tell you in it, there's so much love. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> whoa, dude, you, you picked up my intent. It, it was really, I want to change the world. And through lucid dreaming, I think the world can be changed. I don't think the world's figured that out yet, but I mm -hmm. want to do my part just to show people all the incredible transformational potential there. It just taps into a whole other paradigm of how we could go about things, you know? If we lived in waking life, in the awareness of how connected we are in the um, larger consciousness. Right. I mean, would we be so petty as to yell at each other on Facebook and all this <laughs> stuff, you know, like just all the, all the stuff that we spend our time doing daily, which doesn't lead to a harmonious, peaceful world, you know, to what extent can we tap into something larger? That you, you know, and, and that's why I think people should study dreams and lucid dreams because even regular dreaming will begin to to integrate you with stuff that's going on inside, you know, sometimes mm -hmm. it'll be your fears. Sometimes it'll be your hopes. Sometimes it'll be your unrecognized talents and it'll show you that stuff if, if you pay attention. And, and so uh, I, I'd mentioned, uh, you know, how Carl Jung came up with this idea of the shadow, you know, the denied, ignored, repressed parts of yourself. And, and I remember one time uh, hearing a speaker um, talk about an incident where there was this guy, um, Robert Johnson, who wrote the book called Inner Work about active imagination, which is a union technique. And anyway, uh, so, so a woman in the audience uh, is hearing him talk about the shadow and she raises her hand and she says, Mr. Johnson, I'm a nice Christian woman. I love everybody. I just don't think I have a shadow. And he looked at her and said, Madam, if there's anyone in this room that you don't want to sit by, that you don't want to talk to, that you want to just basically ignore, that's your shadow. And whoa, when I heard that, I thought, oh my God, that is so true. And so now whenever I give lucid dream talks, if there's you know five guys over there who have their arms all folded and look like they want to beat me up after the class, you know, I, those are the first guys I go talk to. Mm. And, and I'll just go, hey, how's it going? What do you think? And just give them a chance to say whatever's on their mind. Because I'll tell you what, here's what we do. And this is what lucid dreaming showed me. We stay in our comfort zone, hmm. in the waking state, in the dream state, and the lucid dream state, we have a tendency to stay in the comfort zone. And that means we move away from anything that's fearful. We move away from anything that's uncomfortable. We move away from all of that. Hmm. And lucid dreaming showed me that if you don't begin to resolve your fears, they'll just reappear. But once you resolve them, then they're gone. Then they're resolved. And then you can grow and expand. But until you do that, you will be stuck in this small little area of life, just repeating the same things over and over, staying in the comfort zone. And, and so th that's the beauty of lucid dreaming. You realize that you have to get past your fears 
in the waking state and in the dream state if you want to grow in either of those states. And, and so that's what I really want to encourage people. And, and part of it is paying attention to your beliefs and expectations and emotions because, um, because those basically shape our life. And, and so like in a lucid dream, if I'm going to fly through a wall and I expect it to be easy, then I'll fly right through the wall. But if I fly up to that wall and it looks like it's going to be hard and really difficult to get through, then I'll bounce off the wall, even though it's a dream wall. It shows me that my beliefs and expectations and how solid it is, is what I'm going to experience. And I'll tell you, that's what happens in the waking state as well. Our beliefs and expectations get reflected back to us. And, and so, so that's why it's so important to be mindfully aware. What, what, what do I believe about this? What do I expect about this? Because if we're not, then we won't really see these opportunities for transformation. Totally. It's all about being present to the stories we're telling ourselves and kind of getting down to what's a story versus what's, what could actually be so. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, I, and I, I want to tell your uh, listeners about uh, something in my second book. So I, I have a second right. book, Lucid Dreaming, Plain and Simple. And this is all the tips and techniques. Uh, I wrote it co-wrote it with uh, author, uh, my co-author, Carolyn McCready. Anyway, in the final chapter, I give a technique that anybody can use to see how they're helping to create their life. Mm. And, and I, I know, you know, there's, you know, the, oh, there's all sorts of groups out there, you know, the secret and, and this, that, and the other, you know, about how you create your life and, and all. But, but, Here's, here's my simple way that you can see this and it'll blow people's mind. So what I ask people to do is to find within themselves a neutral characteristic. So it can be so neutral that you hardly ever think about it. So, so for example, it might be how funny you are. You're not really funny. You're not unfunny. It's just neutral. You're there in the neutral zone. You don't even think about it because you're so neutral about it. So this is a belief that has no energy about it because it's neutral. Okay. So then this is the technique. Every day for 10 times, one minute each time, imagine that you're the funniest person in your city or country or whatever. You know, I'm the funniest person in Canada. There's never been anyone funnier than me. I am so funny that blah, blah, blah. And then just imagine people laughing and uproaring and, and you're, you're just funny. You are just super funny. You are, you've gone beyond all, all realms of funniness. So anyway, you do it for a minute, stop it. Then later that day, 10 times a day, you do that same thing over for just one minute. So what you're doing, you're adding energy to a neutral belief. And so just like putting air into a balloon and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger, you're making that belief bigger and bigger and bigger. And I'll tell you, by day four or five, if you continue to do this each day, by day four or five, you'll be at the checkout counter at the store and say something and everyone will burst out laughing. And, wow. and you'll think, that wasn't even funny. That, that was not funny. I know that was not funny, but everyone burst out laughing. You'll go to the office or be on the phone with somebody and say something and everyone will burst out laughing. You'll begin to see that your belief, this belief that you're energizing is now being reflected back to you. And you can do it on all sorts of stuff. Like uh, a woman in my workshop, uh, she's in her mid fifties. She decided that she was going to tell herself that she was the most beautiful person on the island uh, where she lived. And, and she said, because she, she said by her mid fifties, she'd stopped thinking about beauty stuff. And she's been married for a long time. And she, you know, just beauty was just a neutral concept. Anyway, she said on day four, a guy in his thirties asked her for her phone number. She said she almost fell down. She said nobody had asked her for her phone number in 25 years. She had her wedding ring on. She was wearing a torn t-shirt and, and, you know, some, some cutoffs. She said she was just stunned, but it was because she was energizing that belief and she saw it reflected back to her. And so that's why when you see that, I, I mean, the first time I did this practice and I created the practice um, uh, just to experiment with it, I, I cried. I, I was so stunned to see it, it get reflected back to me. And it just showed me that, oh, my God, 
I'm not so much experiencing the world out there as it is. I'm really experiencing my belief system about the world. And when I changed this belief, now it's all being reflected back to me. I, I thought, oh, my God, this is incredible. But it also showed me why people who go to some workshops and they try to work on their hardest belief, like, oh, relationships are so impossible for me, or, oh, I can never attract money into my life. They're working with a belief that has a bunch of energy already, you know, an energy battle is already occurring there. Right. But when you work with a neutral belief and energize it, and then see it reflected back to you, you go, um, the problem isn't out there. The problem is really me and my stuff. And until I resolve me and my stuff, uh, that reflection out there in the waking world isn't going to change. But again, this is taking the ideas of lucid dreaming, making them live lucidly, and so that you wake up to this real situation that's going on here, that, that the experiencer is embedded in the experience and there's just no getting away from the experiencer. We want to blame others, but mm -hmm. I'll tell you, my, my inner self told me, if you create your own reality, who is there to blame? Yeah. And after I heard my inner reality tell me, if you create your own reality, who is there to blame? I realized, oh my God, I have got to stop blaming others. There's no one to blame. There's just right. no one to blame. I'm creating my own experience. It's being reflected back to me. If there's an issue, it's inside of me. It's not out there. So, so that, that's how important all this can be and how utterly transformational it can be because the world tells us, oh, it's all out there and they're the problem and blame him and blame them and blah, blah, blah. And, and you begin to look at it and you go, oh my gosh, it's really, it's really looking at what's going through these beliefs and expectations and emotions that I'm entertaining you know, I, I need to, uh, I have some great ones, but I need to have some of them that I really need to change. So let's say we do identify a belief that has a lot of energy around it. So one of your examples was, oh, like I can't attract money into my life. Yeah. So if that belief is already activated, what, what are kind of steps people can take to maybe within a dream or even within waking reality to de-energize that and change the belief? Like, can we really change our beliefs once they're, they're set? Right. No, that, that's a great question. So, so you can change a belief. So first, when it comes to beliefs, a belief is just a habitual idea that you tell yourself. Hmm. Oh, it's hard to make money. The rich are getting richer. The poor are getting poorer. Uh, there's no chance for me. I wasn't, I didn't get to go to prep school like those other kids. I, I had to go to public school. You know, we all have these beliefs. And as we repeat them to ourselves over and over in our mind, we just make them more powerful. Mm. So first is begin to recognize the script, the habitual beliefs that you keep telling yourself. And then decide what is it that I truly want? Okay. I want to attract uh, wealth or income to myself. At first, you got to be sure that you don't fear it. Oh, if I became wealthy, then all my friends would leave me because now I'm wealthy and they're not. And all my friends are poor, just like me. And it's like, you, you begin to realize this stuff in your head. You go, oh my God, you know, I've got to come, you know, up with my true intent. What's my true goal here? And so, so it might just be something as simple as um, my goal here is to have enough money to live comfortably and whatever. So then you begin to notice every time you have that belief that, oh, the rich are getting richer, the poor are getting poorer. I'll never have a chance. And you say, well, nope, not this year. This year, I'm going to live easily and comfortably. Or I'll, this year, I'll live financially easily and comfortably. So you've got to recognize the habitual belief then you've got to put in the, the new belief. Oh, this year I'm going to live easily and comfortably. Our, our uh, material wealth will come to me easily and naturally. Just do it like that. So that's how you can do it in the waking state. In the dream state, you can do things like this, what we call dream incubation. Before you go to sleep, tell yourself, tonight in my dreams, 
I'll resolve all of my negative beliefs about money such that I live an easy and materially, materially comfortable life and in such a way that no one is harmed and for everyone's best good, something like that. You've got to do a dream incubation that where you begin to resolve in the dream state your fears about money, your concerns about money, all this you know stuff in your head about money. And if you begin to resolve it, uh, you know you might have dreams about it, but it's it's the inner work is getting done, and and that's where the issue is. And then all of a sudden you'll begin, you know, oh, here's a letter from Uncle Harry. What does Uncle Harry have to say? Me, oh my God, Uncle Harry has just sent me ten thousand dollars. It's like, oh my God, this is incredible. I haven't heard from Uncle Harry in three years, but <laughs> he won the lottery and now he's sending me money. I do, you know what, whatever it is. But I'll tell you, if you do it faithfully, it'll change because beliefs are just habitual ideas that we entertain. And the problem is, though, that we think they're truth. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you, not everyone is suffering from that same belief system because you'll look around you and you'll say, oh, that's a nice person and, and they're materially comfortable. You know, well, they don't share my belief. And, and so, you know, what I think is true. So anyway, that's how you change your beliefs. First, you recognize them and then you insert your new belief, whatever it is, what it is you want to achieve. Awesome. I mean, the the amount of agency that gives you over your life is is pretty incredible. And uh, it, it gives people an access to taking their power back. Uh, that's all we want, really. <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. You know, I, I'm so glad you brought that up because that's, that's something you see in lucid dreaming. You know, in, in a normal dream, just whatever happens, happens. You know, you're riding a car, then you're on a motorbike, then you're on a bicycle, then you're on a skateboard. You know, just just stuff happens. And so you really don't have any sense of agency. But in a lucid dream, you realize that you can influence things. I, I don't like the word control because I don't think you control things. And, and there's a lot of lucid dreams where the larger awareness steps in and, and makes you become aware of something that otherwise you wouldn't. But But you begin to realize in the lucid dream that if you want something to happen, then you have to change your beliefs and expectations, your focus and intent in order to have it come about. And that, that's when you really discover your own uh, inner locus of control, your own inner agency to, to change your life. It's awesome. Yeah, that's actually something I wanted to ask about you quickly too, is the, in your book, you mention a lot about the dream figures that the characters in your dream that you meet and they have agency and volition of their own. Like you would think, oh, this is my lucid dream. I'm awake. I'm controlling this. <laughs> but these characters, they just know what's up. They are, they are there like their own figure. So can you say more about what that means and, and why that's important? Right. Exploring lucid dreams. So, so um when you become lucidly aware, uh, because we're so- social beings, oftentimes you go up and you know we'll talk to random dream figures. And, and uh, the interesting thing is you begin to realize that all dream figures are not created equal. Because mm-hmm. some dream figures, you'll ask them a question and they can't respond or they'll respond with gibberish. But there's some dream figures that'll give you a really an intelligent response. And then there's other dream figures that are just super sharp. And I mean, they can explain all the dream symbols in the dream to you. So... So what I began to realize is all dream figures are not created equal and, uh, and that some dream figures have their own agency. And by that, I mean that they have their own goals and intents. Like uh, one time I became lucidly aware and there was this crowd uh, underneath me. It's kind of like at a state fair or something. And so in the lucid dream, I'm just having fun. And so I'm doing loop-de-loops over the crowd, and everybody who has a hat on, I'm knocking off their hat. And so I'll go down and knock off a few hats and fly up, and then I'll come back down knock off a few hats. And then, like, the third or fourth loop, all of a sudden from the crowd, this arm comes up and just stops me from doing that, (laughs) just grabs me and stops me. And I think, whoa, what happened (laughs) there? And so that's what I call an independent agent. It's, It's a dream figure that that operates with its own uh, agency. 
And so I, it's nothing to be afraid of and there's nothing to be concerned with, but it just shows you there's a variety of dream figures. And another set of dream figures would be um, deceased dream figures mm. because sometimes they're there in the dream or lucid dream as a representation of our grief or our loss or whatever. But sometimes if you interact with them and they begin to tell you things that are outside of your own knowing, then you go, wait a second, I really think that I interacted with my deceased uncle because he told me something. Then I woke up and called my mom and my mom confirmed it. And that that's outside of my knowing because I only knew, you know, Uncle Joe when, when I was five years old and he never would have explained that. So so that that's how complicated and interesting and beautiful this this uh, area of dream figures can be. You, you'll meet incredibly insightful dream figures. You'll meet dream figures that are hollow, that are empty. And then you also meet spiritual dream figures and also deceased dream figures sometimes. But in a lucid dream, you can interact with them and kind of see what they have to say. What an incredible landscape to explore. And I honestly could talk to you forever. <laughs> no, I do want to be fun. mindful of your time. <laughs> oh, no, it's fun. You know, I, I want to tell you, I want to tell you how transformational this can be. Um, I, I talked to a guy one time who told me that when he was in high school, his mom developed cancer. And within two years, she died. I, I think like his senior year, she died. And his parents had been divorced for a long time. He said he was so angry at God and the world and everybody uh, when he graduated from high school because his mom had died. And, and I, I said, well, what'd you do? And he said, oh, I became a bouncer at a bar. He said, because the great thing was, you know, at two o'clock in the morning when everyone was supposed to leave the bar, if they didn't leave the bar, then I could beat them up. That, wow. that was my job. I mean, that's how much anger and, and that he had at the world. And, and, and he said, but, but lucid dreaming saved him. And I asked how. He said, one, one night he was asleep and suddenly his mom appeared. And he thought, wait a second, mom's dead. Oh, this is a lucid dream. So he became lucidly aware. And so he, he, he hugged his mom and he began to cry and all that kind of stuff because he missed his mom. And then his mom said, look, I want you to call up our old friends because I left something with them that I wanted you to have. And so he got this information that he wasn't aware of in, the, in his conscious thing. Anyway, he wakes up from the lucid dream he, he finds the number to the old friends and he gives them a call and they said, oh yeah, we have something for you. Your mom left it for us, but you disappeared after she died and we couldn't find where you were. And so he goes to their house. They give him this box that his mom had left for him. And he said, at that moment, he realized that there was something more to life. Hmm. That if his deceased mother could show up in a lucid dream and tell him something that he didn't know, then he realized that there's something more to life. And so he decided to stop being angry at the world, to get himself together. He went to some software coding class at the community college, and then he started software companies and made a bunch of money and, and all and got, got his head together. But he, he said that's how transformational just that one lucid dream was for him because it showed him there's something more going on. So so it's interesting. Um, you know, I've, I've had more than a thousand lucid dreams, but when you start to look at the transformational ones, well, there's probably, well, for me, about 10% are just extraordinarily transformational. And, but for this young guy, just that one lucid dream was enough to put him on a new path in his life. Wow. Yeah, like the, the potential of lucid dreaming to work out anger and trauma. It's like, I just think what comes to my mind, too, is if we were training police officers to do lucid dreaming and they were working out their past traumas and then, you know, maybe there'd be less excessive use of force and brutality and like all this stuff. I mean, the potential right. of it is massive. So just, just, uh, it's really I, cool. I, I remember I was invited uh, to Ireland to give uh, some talks on lucid dreaming. And, and one place was um, a place called Cal. Jordan, it's, it's kind of an intentional eco village in the middle of Ireland. And there, some of the people were teaching their children how to become lucid dreamers. 
And, and so I'd, I'd meet these little nine or 10 year old kids and they'd tell me in their Irish accents, oh yes, last week I became aware in the dream and I talked to a dolphin and the dolphin took me on a trip down into the ocean and showed me the treasure. And I'm like, whoa, <laughs> you know, what's happening here? These little nine-year-olds are having incredible lucid dreams and, you know, interacting with, you know, projected energy of themselves and 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 stuff. And I just... It made me so happy to think that, you know, as little kids, we all learn how to, most of us learn how to ride bikes and stuff like that. You know, just think if we taught little kids, you know, oh, you can become aware in the dream. But like I, I remember one time uh, I came back from a dream conference and um, the, the next night we went out with my wife's boss, uh, who is, you know, a woman with a doctorate and all this kind of stuff. And, and, and my wife's boss asked me, you know, where have you been all week? And she, I said, oh, I was at a dream conference talking about lucid dreaming. And she goes, what's lucid dreaming? And I told her, and she goes, oh, well, I did I did that as a young child. And I go, what? And she said, when I was a little kid, I had nightmares of the witches. And so at three o'clock in the morning, I go into my parents' bedroom crying, you know, the witches were in my dream, the witches. And so my mom got tired of me waking them up at three in the morning. And so she told me one time, she goes, look, when do the witches appear? They appear in my dreams. Okay, the next time you see the witches, remember, this is a dream. Hmm. And then you can ask the witches, would you like to play with me? Would you like to be my friends? Would you like to show me something? And she said, as a little girl, she would become lucid every time she'd see the witches, and she befriended them. Wow. And I thought, oh, my God, your mom was brilliant. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> that, that's a great way. And, and so for, for all the uh, young parents out there who are hearing from their eight-year-olds about, you know, the witches or the zombies or whatever it is, you know, teach them, oh, the next time you see the zombies, just remember this is a dream and ask them if they want to be your friends and then see what happens. So cool. So cool. I mean, it's an, it's an endless world. And like I said, I could talk to you all day. Um, but I want to be <laughs> mindful of your time. So yeah, everyone, uh, this was Robert Wagner, a lucid dreaming expert. And if you want to find his work and connect to him, you can find him on his website, which is lucidadvice.com. And there are links there to buy his books. Um, there's also, so the one we talked about today uh, mostly was uh, Lucid Dreaming Gateway to the Inner Self, but he's also got, uh, he also co-authored co um, Lucid Dreaming Plain and Simple. And I believe that's where you can kind of get more tips and tricks on how to even go yeah. about Lucid Dreaming. And, and you also have workshops. Can you share a little bit about your workshops and what's available for people there? Yeah. Um, so, so this summer in the middle of June, I'll, I'll have a workshop. Um, if you type in Robert Wagoner and Glidewing, Glidewing, um, uh, I have a 30-day online workshop, uh, which is a lot of fun because over 30 days, you can really answer all the questions and show, share all the techniques. And so that's fun. Also, I do uh, online workshops in the spring and fall with IONS, which is the Institute in Noetic Sciences. And then I have some self-paced ones if you just want to, you know, start next week. Um, if you go to my, my website and scroll down to the bottom, you can see some that you just basically do by yourself and all. But but it's a lot of fun because I'll tell you, um, I, I remember one time uh, a, a lucid dreamer sent me his lucid dream and I was just blown away. It was just an incredible lucid dream. And so I wrote him back and I said, boy, you, you must have been lucid dreaming for five or 10 years now. And he goes, oh no, this, this is my 26th lucid dream. I've just been dreaming lucid dreaming for a year now. And I go, how did you do this? And he said, I read your first book and I followed all the principles and suggestions, you know, exactly as you put them. And I was like, oh my God, you are, you're going to blow your mind if you keep going. <laughs> <laughs> it's incredible. So, so again, you know, for me, it's, it's all about sharing uh, my knowledge and wisdom uh, with others, helping others overcome their own uh, barriers and self-limiting beliefs and ideas. And whether you do it in the waking state or the dream state, it really doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. You can take these ideas and put them into the waking state and you'll see the same results. 
It's not as quick because waking state is a slowed down reality. In the, in the dream state, it can happen, boom, right then. But in the waking state, you know, you have to put a little bit of time and energy into it, and then you'll see it reflected back to you. But, but again, you can do that. But Chelsea, it's been so fun talking to you, and I'm so glad that you're, you're bringing up this issue of kind of um, transformation and helping people uh, see the inner beauty within themselves, because that is what the world needs more of. And totally. so thank you, for, thank you for being part of that. Thank you. Um, one more thing I'd like to ask you, Robert, are what are three ways you let beauty guide you in life? I think we got a hint of one of them at least, but <laughs> <laughs> I always ask my guests at the end of the show, what are three ways you let beauty guide you in life? So first I pay attention to my dreams. Dreams are so beautiful and creative and instructional and educational. Second, I pay attention to strange things that happen during the day. Mm. Anything that takes me out of my normal thought and I go, wait a second, what did I just see there? You know, it's a, a little kid smiling, singing a song to himself. It's, it's somebody wearing a t-shirt that has a really powerful statement. I pay attention to that kind of stuff. So that'd be a third thing. Or the second thing. Uh, the third thing, how I help beauty come to my life. You know, I acknowledge beauty when it comes my way. And so you have to be a little bit careful. You know, you can't be, you know, uh, you can't, you have to be a little bit uh, socially aware uh, when you acknowledge <laughs> beauty. <laughs> totally. <laughs> and, and I try to be socially aware. But, <laughs> but you know, when, when, when I see it, even if I don't say anything, you know, in my heart, uh, I send that person heart energy, just like mm. you go. You go yeah. for it. You know, you you express yourself. You express your individual individual beauty. You express your your awareness. You know, you're you're doing the right thing. So, so that's what I try to do. Those are three ways. Awesome. Well, again, thank you so much. It's been honestly such a pleasure chatting with you. The time flew by literally. Like this. <laughs> and I I really appreciate you coming sharing about this whole new world. Really. And uh, yeah, I, I hope to stay connected and everyone check out Robert Wagoner. I think I was, I think I was saying it incorrectly before Wagoner. <laughs> it's, it's actually Wagoner. We threw an extra GNO just to make it more complicated. Okay. But, uh, Chelsea, it's lovely to <laughs> chat with you and, uh, and, and thank you so much for having me on. This, is, this has been a lot of fun. Thanks again for listening to Let Beauty Guide You. My name is Chelsea Keen, and you are just listening to Robert Wagoner. And yes, I pronounced his name incorrectly throughout the episode. It's Wagoner, W-A-G-G-O-N-E-R. I apologize. And we were discussing his book, Lucid Dreaming, Gateway to the Inner Self. And if you're interested to connect with Robert and his work, you can head to his website, lucidadvice.com. Thanks again for listening and until next time, bye for now.